Good morning. It's Wednesday, the 24th of June. This is The Briefing. I'm Tom Tilly, and I'm going to start today's show by disregarding some of Gladys Berejiklian, the New South Wales Premier's advice. I call on all organisations not to interact with citizens from Melbourne at this stage. Jamila Risby from Melbourne, welcome to the show. Thank you. I have uh, washed and sanitised my hands several times this morning and I'll do it again afterwards. Isn't that a wild piece of advice? Do not interact with the citizens of Melbourne. Do not interact. Not just don't come near us or within 1.5 metres, but have nothing to do with us. I think my year three teacher said that to me about one of the naughty kids. <laughs> well, last week you were on the front page of The Australian, so you are a bit of a naughty kid at the moment. Um, in a moment, we're going to get into the briefing topic on arts degrees potentially doubling in price. We'll ask, is that fair? And interview the Education Minister, Dan Tien. Jamila, before that, let's get into the big news stories of the day. A huge story in the tennis world with men's number one player, Novak Djokovic, testing positive to COVID-19. Now, you might be wondering why we just are playing this very average nightclub karaoke. It's actually a key part of this story. Um, Novak Djokovic has been hosting a controversial tournament in Eastern Europe, ignoring coronavirus protocols. There wasn't an elbow tap in sight, Tom. Not only have players been hugging and high-fiving fans... <laughs> At the packed events in Serbia and Croatia, they were also hitting the clubs, with footage emerging of a shirtless Djokovic grinding with people on the dance floor in recent days. Wow, you can just imagine it. That's a great tune, by the way. So, yeah, this is a bizarre tournament. Um, Novak Djokovic is an anti-vaxxer and has basically put on this tournament flouting all the all the rules and all the social distancing measures. And Nick Kyrgios has even stepped in saying, don't at me for anything I've done, class is stupid. This tanks the cake. Yeah, Novak Djokovic has some, um, let's say, some unusual views when it comes to science. In the past, he's spruiked a, like a healing water that apparently fixes illnesses by cleansing polluted food. Uh, folks, that is definitely not true. Yeah, and he's lashed the US Open for their tough biosecurity measures for their upcoming event. Safety last, Tom. Stop hoarding. I can't be more blunt about it. Stop it. Remember all that panic buying when COVID-19 first started happening here in Australia, creating scenes like this? That one is never going to get old. Tom, it's feared we're seeing the beginning of a repeat toilet paper bulk buying here in Victoria off the back of this new outbreak. After dozens of cases in recent days, photos are emerging of empty supermarket shelves again, a sight that feels eerily familiar. Yeah, it feels like a memory that I sort of pushed right back into the dark parts of my brain, like it was from another time and sort of never really happened, but obviously it did. And people are are calling on Woolies and Coles in Melbourne to bring back buying limits on certain products. I'm going to rush in and stock up before that happens. Sport has been front and centre in the Black Lives Matter movement, with players both championing anti-racism and being on the receiving end of discrimination too. Last night on AFL 360, Carlton star Eddie Betts opened up on what racism feels like. Why can't you just come and enjoy the game of footy? And the only problem that they have 
with me is that I was born black and, and I guess I believe that's the only problem that they have with me and I guess, you know, I'm just sick and tired of it. That's Eddie Betts there. At the restart of the AFL season, we saw players take a knee in solidarity with the Black Lives Matter movement. And within days of that, Eddie was vilified again on social media. I'm sick of copping it. I'm absolutely sick of copping it. And, you know, and it hurts and it deeply hurts. And you think to yourself, why? Why do I play footy? Why should I keep playing footy if I'm going to keep copping this? But, you know, I want to make a change. And, I'm, and the way to keep hurting these guys is just keep playing great footy and keep smiling, and, and that's what I love doing. Some really moving words from Eddie there, and he's such a superstar. I hope he keeps doing what he does best for as long as possible. Tom, we've also seen some other big AFL news breaking overnight. Yeah, there's actually been some very positive news for the AFL. Remember this moment? An Essendon player has tested positive to the COVID-19 virus. Well, it turns out that that player's test was a false positive. That was Connor McKenna from Essendon. He's now tested negative to the coronavirus overnight. He and another player are still in quarantine, but after this negative result, perhaps we'll see the AFL season return to, well, relative normal? Yeah, that's really good news. I think when we saw this cluster of cases blow up in Melbourne over the weekend uh, and potentially... Um, causing problems for the whole AFL with that player testing positive. It was looking like some some major setbacks to our progress on COVID-19 were in store, but I think that'll you know, ease a lot of people's concerns. I had my five-year-old watching the footy on the weekend. He's a Carlton fan, pointing to the people whenever the players got close to one another and saying, don't give each other the Rona. Oh, wow. Good advice. Um, All right, Jamila, thanks for joining us today. In a moment on the show, Annika Smethurst will join us again to look at the education sector. Uh, Massive fee increases for some people going to university next year. We'll interview the Education Minister, Dan Tehan. The cost of an arts degree or a humanities degree could be about to double. So is that fair? Last week, the government announced they want to make some uni degrees cheaper and others a lot more expensive. From next year, students will have a choice. Their degree will be cheaper if they choose to study in areas where there is expected growth in job opportunities. It's one more accounting trick. They want to be seen to be doing something with universities, but they're not going to fund any extra student places. The government is trying to strong-arm universities into deregulating fees. As you can hear, there's some vocal critics who are not happy, Dan. And when I say Dan, I'm talking about Dan Tien, the Education Minister, who we're going to interview in just a moment. Annika Smethurst is here to help explain the proposed changes. G'day, Annika. How's this going to work? Well, when we sign up for a hex debt, you might not actually realise how much it is. People often just go in and do what they want to do. But the way it works at the moment is that the courses are loosely put into three groups and that's based on your earning potential. So traditionally we've seen students studying law or medicine have paid a lot more than students paying arts and humanities and in part that's because of your ability to pay it off at the end and also a little bit on the cost of actually teaching some of these more lengthy courses. But that's all about to change. As you say, Tom, from the next academic year the government's going to dramatically slash the prices of some courses. So if you want to do agriculture or maths, it's going to be 62% cheaper. Some of the other ones that they're going to offer discounts on are teaching and nursing and English, which will be down about 40%. A little bit of a less discount, but still a discount for IT and engineering and environmental science. But law and 
arts degrees, they're going to go up. In fact, some humanities degrees could go up by more than 100%. And, of course, this has some people really worried, especially those kids that are in Year 12 this year. Yeah, so lots of questions for the Education Minister. Before we get to him, I want you to meet Ronan. He's a Year 12 student who was planning to study humanities. How do you feel about these changes? I think when I first sort of saw this announcement, my first reaction was, oh, you're kidding. And then as I sort of read a little bit more... Um, it sort of set in because we've sort of made our subject selections three years ago. So it's been since year nine in the running. Obviously, year 12s are in our final year, starting unit four. So pretty much my reaction was like, oh, that is not the news I needed. But yeah, yeah. I'm also considering studying overseas. I was before, but it's sort of just a little bit more enticing now. That was Ronan there, who's not happy, Dan. Heath George has an arts degree and he's gone on to start Clockwork Films, which employs eight full-time staff, but also lots more for when they put on shows. Heath, what do you make of this policy and the value it puts on arts and humanities degrees? Yeah, the idea that a humanities stereotype is this sort of frivolous pursuit and we're also studying French philosophers, I mean, it's, it's a bit of a nonsense. I mean, the average BA humanities uh, salary, according to Payscale uh, sites, is 68000 a year. You know, BA finance is similar. Most common roles for a humanities grad is, you know, marketing manager, graphic designer, project managers, business development managers, administrators, you know, people I deal with in, in, in my role and my businesses. Yeah, gender breakdown, 70% women, 29.9% men. So, you know, the policy is going to disproportionately affect women. You know, it would probably surprise people to realise the top five Australian employees of BA graduates are Westpac, Biomedia, News Corp, Ernst & Young and Telstra. I mean, only two of these are media companies. Um, I think that stereotype that they're not, that they're frivolous degrees is, uh, is unfounded. That was Heath. Let's see how Dan Teen, the Education Minister, responds to those criticisms. Minister, thanks for joining us. We just heard from a Year 12 student called Ronan. He was shocked by this announcement. He said he'd started planning towards his humanities degree that he hopes to do as far back as Year 9, where he started choosing his subjects in Year 10, 11, 12. And, and only now he's found out that the uni course he wants to do could double in price and it's too late for him to change to agriculture or nursing. What do you say to someone like Ronan? What we've done through these changes is that we've aligned uh, the cost of a degree with the contribution that the government makes and the student makes. And what we've done is we've looked at projections as to where the jobs of the future are going to be. And we've said, okay, what the government will do is we'll put more in where we know the jobs will be and we'll put less in uh, where we think there is already uh, enough demand in those jobs. So you can still do your humanities degree. It will still be uh, cheaper than a humanities degree in the US or the UK. You have access to the world's best help loan scheme uh, and think about as you're choosing your humanity units, units which will help your job prospects. Uh, And if you do that and for for instance do a maths or an English or a language, uh, your humanities degree uh, will be cheaper. Julie Bishop, your former colleague, um, has had some pretty strong words about this. We spoke to her yesterday. She's now the Chancellor of the ANU, our top ranking university. Here's what she had to say. I'm deeply concerned because I think it will have a perverse effect. I think you'll find that um, the universities will, of course, take students who provide the greatest um, 
a funding outcome for the university mm. and that will still be the humanities. So I think also when I was education minister, I tried this idea of reducing the hex fees for um, for science, engineering, maths to attract more students and it doesn't work and teaching. Uh, students don't go into teaching because they've got low hex fees. They go in because they want a career in teaching. So you've got a former education minister there saying that lowering course prices doesn't necessarily change people's minds. What evidence do you have that lowering the cost of a course will actually redirect people into careers that aren't appealing to them? Well, we've got the evidence from when the Labor Party um, reduced the costs of maths and science degrees. It actually did lead to extra demand uh, into those areas. So they did that in, in 2009. Uh, and it's interesting because there was a lot of publicity around those changes and that actually led to demand um, going into those areas. Uh, then when they... Um, increased the prices uh, by 78% for maths and science in 2013. That was all done in the lead up to the election and there wasn't much publicity around it and we didn't see much impact. So one of the things we're very keen to do is to, to be a lot clearer around the cost to a student of undertaking a degree. And Tom, these are very different circumstances. If we're to grow our economy out of this economic shock, the biggest economic shock since the Great Depression, our focus has to be on jobs, and that's what the government is doing. Dantine, it comes down partly to how you value an arts and humanities subjects. Um, you know, you keep talking about getting people into jobs, but a lot of people who, who do these degrees end up in a whole range of jobs and working for a whole range of different sectors, tech companies, um, they work in business, politics, and the, the so-called jobs of the future change very quickly. And sometimes you need those broad style approaches to work in those spaces and, and add value. Are you underestimating the value of arts and humanities subjects? No, not, not at all. And I'll go back to the original point that I made, Tom. What we've done is align the cost of a degree with the contribution that both the Commonwealth and the student have made or will make. You have to remember in terms of uh, the payment, the payment is a cap. So you, what you might find is that some universities who want to specialise in a particular area will actually teach uh, under under the, the cost of, of what the cap is. So they will use that to uh, encourage particular students in, into a particular area and they might be able to teach more efficiently and effectively in that area. They might be able to combine with, with industry to be able to say to students, well, if you come here, not only is it cheaper, but we'll give you a, a placement. And industry or business might work with the university uh, to make sure that you get the job placements, plus there's a, a cheaper offer, so it's be, it's below the cap, uh, and that will then encourage students to go into a particular university to do that area of study, and it can it grow in its expertise in that area of studies. Minister, I imagine some people listening would agree with you in principle that we could do with um, a slight redirecting of priorities towards areas that definitely will land people jobs. What they might not agree with you on, though, is the magnitude to double the cost of an arts and humanities subject. How did you come up with those numbers? Like 111% increase. Why not a 50% increase or a smaller magnitude of increase or redirection of these priorities? 
Well, one of the things that we, we had to work around was in 2013, the costs of science and maths went up by 78%. So what you've really seen in the, in the maths and sciences was that a very steep increase in 2013. So in realigning and putting our costs uh, and those contributions so that they now are in line, uh, it was actually... Uh, the humanities in, in bringing that up to to what it what it really occurred uh, in the maths and science area in 2013 with that 78 percent increase. Now, Dantian, you represent a regional electorate. Both Tom and I grew up in the country. There's already a lot of barriers for country kids that are going to often universities in the city, although there are some great regional unis. So they're already moving there. And now if you want to study arts instead of nursing or agriculture, you're going to have to pay a bit more. What is your government doing to make sure country kids get an education? Uh, so we're putting in place a tertiary access payment, a $5,000 tertiary access payment. So um, country students, uh, when they get straight out of school, if they want to go to university, will get access to this $5,000 tertiary access payment. One of the important parts of this package uh, is designed to lift those attainment rates uh, for in regional and rural areas. And if we can do that, we will see not only a benefit in the social cohesion of the nation, uh, but importantly also it will help those regional and rural economies uh, to the tune of, of about $30 billion by, by 2050. Minister, speaking of social cohesion, the Black Lives Matter protests have revived an important debate around diversity in the media and in politics. The concern is that the, the more expensive you make arts, media, humanities, law degrees, the more you concentrate cultural capital, um, you know, the, the chance of getting those sort of cultural gatekeeper jobs in arts, humanities, the more likely it's going to be wealthier white kids who can afford to do the degrees that will, will land you in, in one of those positions. Does that concern you? Uh, well, one of the things we're, we're doing also through these reforms, uh, Tom, is, is putting more money into the attainment rates of low socioeconomic uh, rural um, remote students, uh, Indigenous students. So we're actually increasing the funding uh, into the fund, which is which is called HEP, which is all about uh, lifting equity and is all designed around those low socioeconomic students. It's money we provide to universities so that they can make sure that we get that get that diversity. And but will that will make can, up for doubling their course fees? Uh, well, a, a, as I've said, what what we've done is aligned the cost of of a teacher of the to the University of Teaching a degree to the contribution that the Commonwealth and the student has, has made. And once again, uh, depending on how a student mix and matches the unit that it, it puts together, but these this lift in these um, in this HEP fund uh, is specifically designed to to help those those from low socioeconomic backgrounds. That was Dan Teen, the education minister. Now this all has to get through the upper house. Parliament actually has to vote this through. So it's not a given that it will happen, Annika. What chances do you give this legislation of getting through the Senate? Traditionally, these sort of education reforms have not gone through. We saw the last, then under the Abbott government, they tried to get through deregulation. University fees were going to be incredibly expensive and it was something the Senate blocked. They blocked a lot of Abbott reforms. But I would think this one's a little bit closer to getting 
through. It, it's not as sort of a, a great leap forward. Having said that, not having the numbers there mean everything is so tight and it can come down to one or two people. Those people are the Pauline Hansons and Jackie Lambies of the world and traditionally they're very unpredictable. All right, well, thanks, Annika. Always great to get your inside knowledge on how these things will actually go down in the parliament. From one art student to another. <laughs> <laughs> I did commerce. All right, that is it for today's episode of The Briefing. Thank you so much for listening. Tomorrow, we'll look at the business case for equality, why it's not just the right thing to do, you can actually make money. That's The Briefing. Speak to you then. A Podcast One production.